Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. A week talking about Paul's letter to the Ephesians this week, Colin. And of course, you're going to be reading from your new translation, The Truth. Yes, uh, this is a wonderful epistle. It's absolutely packed full of very, very important teaching. We have to remember that uh, when Paul wrote, the the length of letters uh, was restricted. And and, um, so he always packs in as much as possible. And this would have been a letter for the church in Ephesus, but it was obviously the common practice then for these letters to be passed around to other churches. They would have been copied and passed on so that the teaching here would have reached many other cities as well as Ephesus. And of course, Paul knew the Ephesians well. He'd lived amongst these people, hadn't he, for quite yes, a while? Yes, he, he'd been involved with the church. One of the most moving parts, I think, of, of the New Testament, certainly of the Acts of the Apostles, in, is in Acts chapter 20 when he meets with the Ephesian elders on his way to Jerusalem, and uh, you get a real insight into the kind of ministry that Paul had there um, among them. Uh, and you just see the tremendous love and compassion that Paul had, and yet his boldness at the same time in being prepared to preach anything and to put up with all the opposition and so on that he experienced wherever he went with the gospel. So certainly one of the first places where the church was established. Yes, it was It was a very significant church in New Testament times. So the epistle opens in the traditional way that Paul opened his letters, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Now, we can stop there, really, because there's a, a big lesson to learn. Remember that Paul was Saul of Tarsus, the arch persecutor of the church. So you could say that it was never Paul's desire to be a Christian, let alone an apostle, who in Scripture is the most significant of the ministries that God raises up. So here Paul comes from the arch persecutor of the church to the one who God made the chief apostle to the Gentile nations. And he can rightly see the hand of God in all of this, Mm -hmm. that it is by the will of God that he became a Christian, uh, let alone an apostle. And then he addresses it to all in Ephesus who are saints, set apart by God for his purposes, those who live out their lives in Christ Jesus in a faithful way. Um, Now, there's an awful lot in that, you see. That just sounds like an initial greeting, and we can easily pass over that without understanding the significance of what Paul is saying. Now, the church in Ephesus would have understood the significance of three key things Paul is saying in in that one sentence. First of all, he calls them saints. And saints are those who are set apart for the purposes of God. That is what it means to be holy, to be a saint, to be set apart for God's purposes and to live for him rather than for ourselves. And then he says that these Christians in Ephesus 
live in Christ Jesus. And we often talk about the way in which all believers are incorporated into Christ uh, on these programs. We, we mention this regularly because this is key revelation in the New Testament that before we were born again, we were outside of Christ. And what God did when uh, we were born again is he took hold of our lives literally and put us into Christ so that now we live out our lives in him. But then he also says that they live in Christ Jesus in a faithful way, that they are faithful. And there is a big big difference in the attitude towards the Christian faith in the New Testament than that which we generally see in the churches today. Uh, it was readily perceived in all the churches in New Testament times that faithfulness and obedience to God were absolutely essential. They were, if you like, the hallmarks of someone who was genuinely saved. And, uh, you know, people today often avoid talking about holiness and faithfulness and obedience. Um, you know, we, we want to talk very much more about the way God blesses us and, and how he will provide for us and heal us. And all those are good biblical principles also. But it was perceived in the New Testament times that to be a Christian, you were one who sought to live out his or her life in Christ, being faithful to his will, being obedient to his word, and therefore living a life of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. But it cost them so much to be a believer in those early days, though, didn't it? Well, there was constant opposition. And... Um, I'm writing on an I, I'm I'm writing a, an annotated version of of uh, the Truth New Testament at present, and uh, as I'm going through this text, it, it amazes me how much opposition there was in both in the ministry of Jesus that's well documented in the Gospels, but also in the Acts of the Apostles and all the way through the Epistles, we see the evidence of the persecution and often. Uh, the lives of people were in danger simply for being believers. And so, yes, in, in that kind of context where you know you might have to pay the ultimate price for your faith, then there's, there's no rule, room for foolishness or half-heartedness. You're either wholeheartedly a follower of Jesus or you want to stay right clear of ever being persecuted. So, yes, your faith has to really count when you're in a situation like that. And then Paul says, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ impart grace and peace to you. Now, I translate it like that because, uh, you know, these greetings at the beginning of, of the epistles, we can dismiss simply as greetings. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is one other translation. But actually what Paul is, he's not, he's not just fulfilling a convention. There's a real desire for God. It's like a prayer. May God impart his peace to you. Uh, you see, in the New Testament, shalom is not just a greeting. It's, it's a blessing of God's peace come upon you. 
that that was the way in which uh, that greeting was used. And so uh, the early Christians would greet one another with a holy kiss, with a kiss of peace. Um, it, there was, you know, we want to share the peace of God with one another. We want to impart God's peace to you. It, it was not just a formality. So I think we need to, to see that, that, uh, that Paul is praying, may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ impart his grace. Now, grace is all that God gives to us, although we deserve nothing. And may he impart his peace to you. It's a wonderful greeting, really. You know, may God impart his peace and grace to you. What a wonderful way to start every day if we greeted one another like that. Then we have these very well-known verses from three following. Well, especially verse three is, is well-known. Um, sometimes I, I've, in, in this translation, uh, broken down the conventional way in which we have translated things simply because uh, we can get so used to the words, we stop to think what they mean. And uh, one of the things the Lord impressed upon me with this translation is that people needed to understand, not just to know the word, not just to love the word actually, but to understand the word so then they will put it into practice in their lives. So verse three, give praise to him the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he has blessed us through our life in Christ with every spiritual blessing that belongs to his heavenly kingdom. Now, that's what verse 3 means, that because God has taken hold of our lives and put us in Christ, he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing literally the Greek says in heavenly places, in his heavenly kingdom. Now, why should he already have blessed us with all the blessings of heaven? Well, Paul explains, this is because he chose us before he created the world to belong to Christ, to be made holy and blameless in his sight. You see, if God takes hold of our lives and puts us into Christ, he is putting us into the Holy One. He is putting us into the Blameless One. So something had to happen to us before he could incorporate us into Christ in that way. We had to be made holy. We had to be made blameless in God's sight. And of course, that is what God accomplished for us when Jesus gave his life on the cross. That sacrifice of his perfect blood made it possible for us to be cleansed from all imperfection. That holy blood can cleanse us from all unholiness. That blood that was shed of the blameless one can make us blameless in God's sight. That, if you like, qualifies us to be placed in Christ by God the Father, and then we can inherit with Christ every spiritual blessing in God's heavenly kingdom. What wonderful truth. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 